All right, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22? God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that it teaches us the truth about who you are and who we are and the truth about this world that we are called to live in. Thank you also that it calls us to relationship with you, to know you, uh, to intimacy with you. And God, we do pray that through your word today that we would come to better understand the fullness of your grace and your truth. Amen. When I was a kid, my mom would play a game with my brother and I, and she continues to play it with our kids today, especially when we were bored, you know, sitting at a doctor's office or riding in the car for a long time. And maybe you've heard this or some version of it. The game went like this. My mom would say, riddle, 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 dee dee. I see something you don't see. And the color is, and she would name the color of the object that she saw. Has anyone played this game? Or was this a Connie Cochran original? Okay, no. Okay, so some of you have heard this. or something like it. Riddle, 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 dee, dee. I see something you don't see. And the color is, and then we would try to guess the object that she was thinking about. I thought for a while about giving uh, the title of this sermon to be The Empire Strikes Back for my fellow Star Wars fans, because the arch of the storyline of the last week of Jesus, Matthew 22, is when the empire strikes back. Uh, Jesus has come in to Jerusalem riding on the donkey like he is the king. With all the eyes watching him, he goes to the most important place in Jerusalem, the temple, and he overthrows the temple, uh, overthrows the, the, ta- the money changers' uh, tables. And he is there in Jerusalem calling them to account for the way that they're acting and the way that they have led Israel or or, uh, not led Israel well. And so the leaders in Jerusalem in Matthew 22, they strike back. And they strike back by coming to Jesus by posing to him three riddles. Riddle, riddle, riddle. In Matthew 22, three different groups of Jewish leaders come to Jesus with riddles in order to try to trick him and to humiliate him and to embarrass him in front of the people. And this is a a bit of a kind of telling you the end of the story. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They bring these three riddles, these trick questions about some of the hottest topics of his day, and they put Jesus on trial in order to divide the people against him. These were important topics that Jewish people of that day were arguing over and that they disagreed about, and they're really important topics for us today as well. Uh, The first riddle is about where we give our allegiance or our identity. It's about questions of who we belong to. The second riddle is about what happens after we die. The third riddle is about the most important thing that we can do to honor God. How is it that we live a good life that honors God? And Jesus' answers to these three riddles are brilliant. Jesus says, riddle, 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 I see something you don't see. A few years ago, we preached through the book of Ecclesiastes, and the teacher of Ecclesiastes writes his entire book from the perspective of life under the sun, 
What does it mean for us to live in the world of life under the sun? And so he, he explores all these different aspects of our life under the sun, and he tries to find meaning and happiness under the sun. And what was his conclusion about life under the sun? What was it? It was hevel. So this is the Hebrew word hevel. It means vapor. It means mist. As he explores what life under the sun is like, he describes it as hevel. It's like vapor, mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We can't control it. We can't tell vapor or mist where to go. It does its own thing. Life under the sun is hevel. But the point of the whole book of Ecclesiastes isn't just to painfully reveal that the life under the sun is hevel, but to show us that the deepest and most fulfilling answers to the question of our life can only come from beyond the sun. We're not going to find the most fulfilling answers to our questions and our struggles under the sun. The most fulfilling answers come from beyond the sun. They come through revelation from the outside, from God to us. And the answers of the Jewish people, the the questions that they were asking about these three topics and these three riddles were all earthbound, life under the sun sorts of answers. All answers that they came up with in their own human strength, in their own human wisdom, it was the best that they could muster up on their own. But the answers that Jesus gives to these riddles come from beyond the sun. They focus our attention and our hope beyond the sun. Jesus sees something they don't see. Riddle number one. Jesus points beyond the sun. And riddle number one is the question, who do we belong to? One of the most difficult questions that the Jewish people were facing at this time were how they were to live as prisoners in their own land. They were living in the promised land, but they were prisoners there. The the country of Rome, the, the empire of Rome were dominating them and holding them in submission. And so there was this constant tension for the people of Israel about how they were supposed to relate to the Roman government around them. And there were lots of different groups of Jewish people who answered that question in different kinds of ways. And so as we look at these stories today, I'm going to introduce you to some of these groups of people who try to answer this question of how we respond to the Roman government who is above us. And the first uh, group of people were a group by the name of the Pharisees. And we hear Jesus encountering the Pharisees a lot in in the Gospels. The Pharisees were, were teachers who actually taught a lot of things that sound a lot like Jesus. They were very attracted to him. A lot of the things that he said, they said, we agree with this man named Jesus. They believed in the resurrection. They believed that God was going to send a Messiah. They believed that God was in history going to redeem Israel and establish his kingdom on the earth. The Pharisees were the group of people in Israel who really believed that God was going to intervene in their lives, that he was going to rescue them from the Romans and establish his kingdom. The Pharisees despised the Romans and the way that the Romans kept them in all sorts of ways from truly living completely and wholly as Jewish people in the land. And they were also opposed to King Herod. And Herod was a Jew, but he served the Romans. He was put in place by the Romans, and the Romans said, "If we, we will give you power if you will do what we want you to do. And Herod was glad to do that. 
And so the Pharisees saw Herod and all those who followed him, all those who aligned themselves with Herod, all who were in the political party of Herod, they saw them as traitors. But we see throughout the Gospels that there are many Pharisees who are really drawn to Jesus because his teachings were in some ways very similar to what they believed and what they were teaching. But we get to this point in Jesus's life where they begin to think that He's beginning to lead the people astray. He's gone a little bit too far. He's claiming a bit too much for himself. And so they begin to resist him. And they become one of his biggest opponents. The second group of people in this story that we're about to read are the Herodians. The Herodians were followers of King Herod. They were part of the political party that supported King Herod and uh, were always kind of on the lookout for Jewish people who were trying to start a revolution or try to undermine King Herod's rule. So those are the two groups of people that are in this story that you need to know about, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. So tell us what in your opinion Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? Literally, whose icon is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So do you notice what's happening here at the very beginning? These two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're enemies and they join together. How can we trap Jesus together? And the question they ask is, Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? This was a big question for Jewish people. Nobody likes to pay taxes. That's like been the same for a really long time. And they were oppressive taxes. And many people resisted. And the question here is all about who we give our allegiance to. Who do we belong to? And Jesus' answer here is brilliant. Because he answers them by posing an entirely different question. He answers them by pointing them beyond Rome. He answers them by pointing them beyond the sun. He reminds them that the most important thing in their life is not money or what earthly country they belong to, but that they belong to God. Jesus takes the coin and he looks at it and he asks two questions. Whose icon, whose image is on the coin and whose epigraph whose name is on the coin whose image is on the coin and whose inscription or whose name is on the coin friends whose image do you bear whose name do you bear god's 
Jesus reaches back all the way to the book of Genesis, the the very first book of the Bible that says that we were made as an icon of God, as an image of God. And for the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were Jewish people. They were a part of God's chosen people. And so not only do they bear the image, the not only are they icons of God like every human being, they have also been given the name of God as God's children, his chosen people. And so in this story, Jesus turns the riddle on its head. The coin bears the image of Caesar. It has Caesar's name on it, so give him his coins. They belong to him. But you Pharisees and Herodians you know that you bear the image of God and you bear the name of God. So you give your whole self to God. Broadway Christian churchers, you like every human being are made in the image of God. And if you've been baptized, you've been baptized into the name of God. You bear his name and so give your whole self to God. The Pharisees and the Herodians could only imagine a a man-centered, life under the sun answers to this question of whether to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And Jesus' response points beyond the sun to an obligation that comes before our obligation to our earthly country. And if we get that relationship right... How we respond to our earthly country, how we respond to and use our money, that will all follow from that. That's where things begin. Riddle number two, what happens after we die? Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. Here we are introduced to a group of people named the Sadducees. And the Sadducees and Pharisees were... um, also enemies with one another. The Sadducees were a group of priests who were kind of in the aristocratic class of Israel. Um, They were the people who maintained the temple. They're the ones who were most angry that Jesus overturned the temple, uh, the tables in the temple. And so um, another thing to know about them, though, is they, they also didn't believe in the resurrection. And they didn't believe in any kind of life after death. Uh, They believed that all we could see was life under the sun. I think they might have really liked Ecclesiastes, or maybe they didn't like it because of the message that it eventually portrayed that life under the sun here is meaningless. But their focus was on being a faithful Jew while we live, and then we die, and that's it. So here's what they come and say. Matthew 22, verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said... Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Somebody should have stopped marrying this woman. (laughs) And then finally, the woman died. Now then... At the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? And Jesus replied, you're really dumb. (laughs) It's a really dumb question. That's the kind of way I feel as I'm reading this. Jesus is like, this is like the dumbest story I've ever heard. (laughs) Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. 
but about the resurrection of the dead? Have you not read what God said to you? That I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, did not believe in life after death, they come to Jesus and they try to trick him about the resurrection that he's been talking about. And Jesus hears this story, and his impression is that's a really stupid story. You're in error. And Jesus says to them, you don't know two things. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God, which would have really offended them because they're the priests. Who's supposed to know the scriptures the best? And who are the people who are in the temple closest to the presence of God should know best the power of God? It's the Sadducees. And Jesus says they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And again, the reason for that is because the Sadducees believe that all of life was lived as if the only thing that mattered was life here under the sun. And so in his response, Jesus affirms the resurrection, and he does it in this wonderfully creative way. Jesus reaches back to the book of Exodus to answer their question. He goes to the story of the burning, Moses at the burning bush, and at the burning bush, Moses wanted to know who, um, in the name of what God am I going to Pharaoh in order to set your people free? And the first answer that God gave to him is that I, I am who I am. And then the second thing that he said is also know that I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus' logic here is that God is still at that time the God of people who are alive, not dead. Jesus gives a God-centered response, a response that points our attention once again beyond the sun. The age to come, the life of the resurrection, life after death, comes through the work and power of God. Thinking about heaven or the age to come or the resurrection is not about asking silly questions and speculations like the Sadducees do here. The resurrection is about the power of God. It is about the truth that our creator and our Lord, the one who made us, our heavenly father, will not allow death to have the last word in our lives. God is at work and he will one day renew all things. The renewal of all things is the way that Jesus describes it in Matthew 19. That the renewal of all things when the Son of Man comes to sit on his throne. That is what our hope is. That God is not a God of dead things. He is the God of the living. And in his power, a power that comes from beyond the sun, he will, by his power, renew the broken and fallen world that we live in and make it right again. Riddle number three. How do we live a good life? This is a classic question that all people, philosophers and religions, ask and try to answer in one way or another. And the way that God's people through Israel and through the church respond to the question of how we live a good life is by following God's word. By listening to his commands and by seeking to align our life with his purposes for us. 
And the Pharisees were a group of people that definitely answered the question in that way. How do we live a good life, the Pharisees asked? By following the Torah, the law that God has given to us. But once again, suggests that the Pharisees, even though they believed in the resurrection, and they believed that the Messiah was going to come and rescue Israel, when it came to the law, they believed that obedience to the law must have its source in their own strength. It's up to us. It's up to us to live our lives here under the sun, to summon up our own strength and will to live a life of obedience to the law. And so in the next section, a expert in the law, one of the Pharisees, comes and asks Jesus the next riddle. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So an expert of the law comes to Jesus this time. Notice the first time the Pharisees sent their disciples, sent their students, hey, you go and try to test Jesus, see how it goes. Didn't go very well for him. Sadducees come, they test him, it didn't go well for them, but now they send their ace, they send their champion, an expert in the law to come. And the question he comes up with, the riddle that he comes up with is, of all of God's commands, which one is the most important? Of all the laws that we read in the Torah, the Ten Commandments and the, 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 the commandments and the prohibitions, which one is the most important one that I really need to be sure to follow the most? What's the most important? And Jesus, once again, brilliantly gives us an answer that comes from beyond the sun. Jesus reaches back to the book of Leviticus, everyone's favorite biblical book. And he says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he adds, the second greatest commandment is like it. It's similar. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is really obvious to us now. We've heard Jesus talk about loving God and loving neighbor for so long that we forget how revolutionary this idea was. This was the first time that this was promoted as an idea. The greatest commandment in the law is to love God and to love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't quote one of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say that the first commandment or the tenth commandment or the commandment to keep the Sabbath is the most important. Those were answers that some people were giving. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with your whole self and to love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself. And Jesus says that the whole law, all of those commandments, all of those prohibitions, all of them hang on these two commands. They're all dependent on these two commands. If we do everything from the place of love for God and neighbor, we will be doing what God desires of us and fulfilling the law. Obedience to the law finds its source and its end in love. There are parts of the Old Testament where God promises that one day he is going to write his law on our hearts. When a piano player really, really knows a piece really well, what do we say? 
that they play that song by heart. God's goal for you and for me is to obey the law by heart. That obedience to his law overflows from the transformation that he has done inside of us, from the love that we have received from him that is implanted in our hearts and then overflows to him and to other people. And this kind of transformation can only happen by God rescuing us from beyond the sun. We can't do it on our own. Just trying harder, just working harder, trying to figure out the most important laws and doing those because we fail to do all the others. That is a life lived only under the sun without reference to God's power that is available to us to transform our inner selves, our hearts into the true likeness of the icon of God, Jesus. He wants us to make us the true image, the true icon of God in the same way that Jesus was. He wants us to reflect the character of Jesus in every part of our life. And so when we get the heart right, all of God's law, his plans and his purposes begin to flow out of us. All of the law hangs on those two commands. That's Jesus's response to this riddle. So those are the three riddles. Jesus reaches back to Genesis and to Exodus and to the books of the law to answer their questions. And to my account, it's the final minute of the game and Jesus is way ahead. But Jesus decides to ask a riddle himself. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls the Christ Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he also be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> what is this about? Jesus says, who do you think the Messiah is? Who is the Christ? And they say, he's the son of David. That is an answer that is true. But it's only partly true. So it's only an answer from the perspective of life under the sun that the Messiah would be in his flesh, a son of David. But Jesus says that something else is needed as well. And he quotes Psalm 110 verse 1, which I have heard is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the whole New Testament. I haven't counted myself, but I've heard that. This verse, one, Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. What does it mean? It's a verse that both the Jesus, that Jesus and the Pharisees would agree is about the Messiah who's going to come as a conquering king and as a perfect priest that Israel needs. But what Jesus brings to light here is that the Messiah will not only be a son of David, but will also be the Lord of David. David calls the Messiah in this psalm, Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, David says. David calls this Messiah, his son, a king. 
The one who is going to come is going to be a son of David, but he's also going to become before David, and is going to be greater than David. And so Jesus doesn't really answer his riddle for them. He just leaves it open for them to consider and to ponder. What is he talking about? That the Messiah is a son of David, but is also greater than David. One that David called Lord. He doesn't answer the riddle for them, but let me give you an attempt to answer Jesus's riddle. Because we know the end of the story. We know what happens at the end of this week. Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead, conquering our great enemies of sin and death. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is the Messiah that we need, that came from beyond the Son. The salvation that we need is a salvation that goes beyond our earthly loyalties and kingdoms. It goes beyond our philosophical questions. It is a salvation that heals us all the way down to our heart. To the deepest place of who we are, we are being transformed and healed and saved by God. And that is a work that must come from beyond the sun. It must come from God. No mere son of David can rescue us, but only one who is also God. And so I'm going to finish today by returning to the rhyme. And if you know the answer to it, I would like you to join me in boldly finishing the rhyme. Riddle, riddle, riddle dee dee. I see a savior that I hope you see. And his name is Jesus. Amen.